1: He's also the Interim Graduate Program Detective, Director at uh, Baylor University. And we going to talk about religion and some of the dynamics in the U.S., in particular about Christianity. So, Robert, thank you for coming. Happy to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me. If you would, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get to study the areas that you're studying?
2: Yeah, so I went to college uh, in South Carolina, Clemson University. And I did not uh, grow up in the American South, but my dad is from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I went to school there. I I was always interested in the region. And uh, I just happened to take history classes, and one of them was on the old South. And that just kind of, just kind of sparked something looking back on it. I really can't narrate that exactly, but that's what set me on the path to doing it. I did a master's degree at Clemson in history, and then I went out and did a PhD at Emory University in Atlanta. And sort of my my specialty, uh, my research areas are in the antebellum American South. I, I wrote my first book on uh, sort of religion and culture in the South, and my my second book was a biography of a sort of famous or infamous figure, John C. Calhoun, who, who's uh, sort of been in the news in the last few years. So, what what kind
1: of dynamics in the South? You know, some people focus on slavery; some people focus on this and the other. Uh, What in particular do you find yourself focusing on in the South, and what time period?
2: Yeah, so I I focus basically on the period between 1800 and 1860, and historians usually call that period, or at least some part of that period, the antebellum period, so the pre-war period. Some people define that as 1830 to 1860, some people 1800 to 1860. And I I started off being fascinated by the phenomenon of honor culture in the South. So, you know, dueling is the most well-known part of that, I think, but that, that really extended to a lot of different areas of life in the South and, and looked a lot of different ways and influenced a lot of different facets of Southern life. I mean, today we're familiar with sort of honor-shame cultures in Uh, maybe some parts of the Middle East or or places like Japan, modern versions of that. So I was interested in that cultural aspect. And in my first book, I really looked at how, how Christianity As evangelical Protestant Christianity is moving into the region of the South in the early 19th century, the early 1800s, how they deal culturally with that honor-shame culture. So it was really about sort of cultural adaptation, how religion adapts to different cultural environments, specifically how Christianity does that. And um, what what is an honor shame culture, in, in the South particularly, what did that look like? Yeah, so so the classic sort of definition of an honor shame culture is a culture in which people draw most of their identity from the opinions of others, and in a culture like that, shame is the worst possible. Thing in life. It's the thing you do almost anything to avoid. So this is why I'll just use dueling as an example to explain it, even though dueling was not a common, you know, not everybody was dueling in the American South. That's a sort of like elite preoccupation. But the reason duels happened is because you would have an insult of some kind, right? And if you allowed that to stand, then you sort of were acknowledging the truth of it and the, and you had to make sure that everybody knew that it wasn't true, that you didn't accept it, that it wasn't part of who you were or your identity. If somebody called you a liar or said something about somebody in your family, the way that you had to get rid of that implication was violence. And that's pretty common in a lot of honor cultures. Violence is a, is a sort of a righteous response to the threat of shame. It can look, for instance, like... Some people might be familiar with the phenomenon of honor killings that happen in some Middle Eastern cultures. They've happened in the United States in some immigrant communities where a woman is killed by her family if uh, she has somehow shamed the family. Usually that involves some sort of sexual activity outside the, the culturally accepted bounds of that for, for women. And the whole point of that is to reject the shame that that brings on the on the family so honor is sort of you know what you want in an honor culture that's everybody's approval you want everybody to acknowledge you and shame is what you're what you're trying to avoid and the american south in the early 19th century was in many ways a sort of classic honor shame culture which tend to be more violent more rural Less institutions, um, all of all of those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I've heard of duels actually happening, even even somewhat recently. I have a, a lawyer friend that in South Carolina, he was representing some angels. Angels, and they decided to have a duel. You know, at one shot the other. I, know, I think yeah. one killed the other. And they, yeah. um, you know, they were trying to prosecute the people, and then they used the law that seemed to be still in the books. I believe in South Carolina that duels. Were allowed under certain circumstances, and that's, huh. you know reduced or eliminated some of the charges. So yeah, this is probably
2: <laughs> ten years ago. You know, that's about it. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't heard about that, but in some ways, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, one of the things that like these things have very long cultural tales. so you wouldn't really call any place in the United States today a an honor shame culture in the way that anthropologists and historians typically define those things but it is true that most parts of the american south if you look at them on a per capita basis are are more violent places than other parts of the country and part of that is just cultural it's a it's an acceptance of violence as as a legitimate thing in some circumstances i mean i always when i was writing about honor culture and Christianity, I I wrote about what I called the, I know it was wrong, but I had to do it defense, which was like the classic version is like somebody insults your family, your wife, your mother, maybe they insult you and you knock them down or whatever. Right. And in those instances, the church would bring people before the church and say, well, you know, that's a, that's a sin. And the response frequently that they got was, well, I know it's a sin, but I still had to do it. And what you're dealing with, there are sort of two parallel ethical and moral systems, right? One demands forgiveness and turning the other cheek, and the other one is demanding a violent response to an insult. And frequently, you know, still today, there's just some cultural remnants of that. I went to school with people at Clemson University who basically would give that that basic response. Yeah, I know it was, I know it's probably not the best idea, but I kind of had to do it, you know. So it's still around. So you're
1: saying culture is so strong that it overrides faith or how does it interact with faith in in your observation?
2: Yeah, I guess on on that level, I I was looking at faith or religion as also a somewhat cultural form of organizing people that, you know, I think that both religion and honor culture have these value or Christianity and honor culture both have these value systems that come along with them. And so within Christianity you have this ethic based on the example of Christ and you know Christ going to the cross that you do not right you you don't react violently to people who are trying to hurt you that you turn the other cheek or you know, you have the example of Christ stopping the Apostle Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter is trying to defend Christ from the from the you know being taken, uh, being arrested, I chopped off someone's ear, right, right. And Christ rebukes him for that, right. And so that that's a very very strong example in Christianity that Christian churches throughout history, you know, and obviously. They haven't always done this, but at least in the American South, there was this idea that private violence, not war, not state-sanctioned violence, but private violence was was wrong, right, for, for individual people to do that to each other.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700-plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. now. Back to the show. Was it just the South or was, I mean, you know, we
2: hear tales of the Wild West and all that. Oh yeah.
1: Was it the whole U.S. or was it just the South?
2: Well, no, I think the further back you go historically, depending on the area, that this is is very, very common. It's basically in some ways a sort of pre-modern way of looking at the world. I mean, honor culture was typical of probably most of early modern or Pre-modern Europe, in some regard, I mean that's where the duel comes from, right? The duel has European European antecedents, and and you can you can absolutely follow it all the way through to the West. I mean, the gunfight is basically a just what the duel looks like when you put it in in the American West, right? And and give people six shooters instead of dueling pistols, so yeah it absolutely to some degree or another is is just a typical way that human beings in societies that are rural and don't have a lot of mediating institutions it's it's a way of organizing society right there has to be some sort of principle for deciding things and frequently it was violence but but violence of a very very prescribed and and actually orderly type right i mean the duel is a very very highly ordered ritualistic form of, of violence. I mean, people are probably familiar with the musical Hamilton and the sort of, you know, the 10 steps that are in the song from Hamilton. But the, those steps were real. I mean, those are drawn from a from a dueling manual that was published in South Carolina, actually, <laughs> and uh, that prescribed all those different steps. So it's, it's not just the South, for sure. So what's, up? I don't know, how has this impacted
1: people's faith like you said some people that are it said well i had to do it well is there a larger impact to this culture like uh you know after the time period that you looked at you know the civil war like how did this culture change after that or did it was it left yeah
2: it? yeah i think there are, i think it diminishes significantly and there's, there's lots of reasons for that part partly is you have this what happens from the time of the civil war into the 20th century is that people don't need um that kind of violence anymore because the state grows sufficient to a sufficient size that, you know, if you if you have a problem with somebody uh, that's significant, you're going to sue them, you're going to go to the courts, you're going to there's contracts and legal systems and to deal with these sorts of things. So that's part of it. I think the other the other part of it is is simply the growth of a much more individualistic uh, form of identity where today we still care. Obviously, human beings are built to like care what about what other people think. But our forms of identity are much more in we, we care less now, I think, than people cared two hundred years ago or something like that. And that's the other reason that parts of it so sort of goes away. But there are definitely still clues about it. There's a famous there's a famous experiment in the nineteen nineties that two psychologists, I think they were at Northwestern University ran where they they lined people up, they got students to sign up for an experiment, and they lined people up and would have them walk down a hallway and they would have another student randomly come up to them and bump them and call them a a name a bad name and then they would immediately take those students into a room right next door and measure their cortisol levels and other measures of like the fight or flight impulse and mm. And they found, uh, they found, and this is in the 1990s. They found a measurable difference between students who had been raised in the American South and students who had been raised in other regions of the United States, where the Southern students responded physiologically much more, much more strongly to that interaction than students from other places who were basically willing to brush it off or just be like, "Oh, that guy's a jerk." What,
1: what are about the students, students from? Uh...
2: So, yeah, I well, like sure yeah. Respond. I well, see, this is the great thing about it. It's like whenever you, whenever you say this, right? People are like, "Oh, yeah, well, you haven't been to." I mean, put in. I think that's absolutely true. This is the wonderful thing about the diversity of the United States. There are absolutely regional subcultures where this is this is still true, or would be true to the same extent, right? I I think that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah,
1: definitely lived in New York for a long time and then I came out to uh, Texas. There's a massive culture shift, so I'm sure New Yorkers wouldn't uh would just stand for that thing they get up in a person's space right away yeah, but like no, said, totally, yeah
2: no no, I think that's totally true and there's also a lot of interesting research about sort of how immigrant different immigrant cultures bring this into the United States too i mean the in the American South people associate it sometimes with Scots Irish immigrants in the 18th century but you you know it depends what you're talking about like certain italian immigration in the late 19th century the irish in the mid 19th century you know immigrants from various middle eastern and african countries in the 20th century a lot of those immigrants are coming from societies where the honor shame component is still is still very 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 strong huh. so what what are you trying to figure out with your research like what are your hypotheses right now and what questions are you trying to answer? I think one of my the overarching things in my in my research or my my books is sort of the question of what is the transition to your journey like what's the difference? as a human being living today like historically speaking what's the difference between how we look at the world and what our world consists of and what a human being what that was for a human being living in the 1800s right and modernity is this huge concept that involves all sorts of things i mean parts of it are technological parts of it are ideological parts of it are patterns of thinking and all those sorts of things. And I I tend to look at like the cultural, religious, intellectual parts of that change. And, and part of that is, you know, in the book about honor culture and religion, I was really looking at this shift to from a communal form of identity that honor culture represents, right? This sort of identity where you get most of your identity from the people around you to the more modern version of that that I think all of us inhabit today, which is much more individualistic. And where religion comes into that is the particular form of religion I was studying, evangelical Christianity, is usually understood as a highly individualistic form of religious faith, right? It's based on this idea of a conversion experience that's very personal it's basically between you and god and that's that's how you know religious faith is understood and so part of what i wanted to understand is how did people coming from this this honor shame culture which was very communal react to and move to this more modern form of identity that was very individualistic and i think you know my my second book examined from a very different angle, that same question of like, how was the South, how did, how did the transition to modernity look in the South? And I, I looked at that through the lens of a person in that case, uh, John C. Calhoun, the Senator from South Carolina. Okay. So what's next on your, your research question list?
1: Like are you, now have you moved to a different time period or is there still a ton more to be looked at in the, you know, the 1800s time period that you described?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm currently working on a book about the nullification crisis, which is a different topic. It's related to my second book. The guy I wrote about in my second book, John C. Calhoun, was a major figure in the nullification crisis, which happens in the 1830s. And it's basically, you know, a lot of people know the basic outlines of it, but South Carolina tells the federal government that it's not going to enforce a federal tariff or tax in 1832. And the president at the time is Andrew Jackson, and Jackson does not react well to that. <laughs> he uh, yeah. he ba- he basically almost invades South Carolina, and it's usually South Carolina raises thousands of troops, and there's there is almost a shooting war over it, and it's it's usually seen as like a one of the antecedents of the American Civil War. Um, but I also think there's there's a lot going on there in terms of. Yeah, that question of like the transition from an older form of government to a newer form of government, and all sorts of things.
1: Yeah. Well, very good, Robert. What's the best way for people to see what you're working on, uh, to look at papers, and you know, like watch your progress? Where can they go?
2: Yeah, well, um, they can certainly follow me on Twitter or X or whatever it is we're supposed to be calling <laughs> that these days. My my handle there is uh, Southern PhD. And uh, they can certainly look at my faculty page on on the Baylor uh, University History Department website. And between those two things, you should be able to find out when, when new stuff comes out. Okay. Well, very Well,
1: thank you very much for coming to the podcast. I guess this time it would be like an arcane area, but I'm sure it has a lot of applications you your understanding of today. So thank you for coming.
0: All right. Thanks for having me, Rich. If you like this podcast